This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the game preview on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. This is the Wednesday preview show for the Thursday night opener Ohio State at Minnesota. Ohio State, a 14 point favorite. On the preview shows this year, we are going to try to get a little more serious about the gambling aspect about it. Because we should know this team and sports betting is not yet legal in Ohio, but it's going to be someday. It's a league. It's it is legal in a lot of states around Ohio and a lot of places around the country. It's easier to bet. You can get on an app on your phone and bet a couple bucks. So I just think there might be more people interested in that. And so we're going to try to give you our expertise you know, we're not like inside. I don't. We're not like grifters or something. I don't know. We're not like. We're not calling up. Co- hey, hey, what's the skinny? It's not a, that's the kind of thing. It's just we get paid to do this, so we should have some slight more insight than you. So we'll talk about the over under each week for the Ohio State game, and we'll talk about the spread, and we'll do that in the second half of the show, and then we'll we'll just touch lightly, sprinkle in anything else in the Big Ten that matters that's worth talking about. Which this week are two games because it's like the other best teams in the big 10 are playing each other. Nathan, it is like an East West showdown here early, kind of like an interesting way. I think Northwestern's playing Michigan state. Also Ohio state, Minnesota is East West and then Indiana, Iowa and Wisconsin, Penn state. That's like the two best teams in the West against the second and third best teams in the East. I'd label it something. Can we label this the East West showdown? I don't, I don't know. It's, I don't know that I love starting with, Conference games, I was almost going to ask Ryan Day a question on Monday about would you be in favor of a real preseason game? I think maybe we talked about that before. I could imagine that in a world where if you don't, if you don't really fit a MAC team on your schedule anymore, you pay them to come be a preseason opponent so it doesn't count. But this gets pretty real pretty quick in the Big Ten here, Nathan. Yeah, and I think we've talked all along about Minnesota as being – it's a big deal for Ohio State just because it isn't a MAC school. It isn't some buy game. It's a real conference game. You're going on the road. It's a team that won 11 games two years ago or a program that did. So you have to take it seriously at a higher level than maybe other season openers. But it doesn't even really compare to what's at stake for the Indiana-Iowa game and this Penn State-Wisconsin game. I mean, those are just massive games, teams that probably want to be in the conversation for their division championship in all those cases. And right away uh, you're in position to take one loss that alters the course of your season. So just let me say something here off the top. This is not uh, a conversation that I've ever wanted to have here on Buckeye talk for the seven years that we've been doing this now. Um, But I wanted to let this audience know first Um, just with some of the other stuff I have going on with the college football playoff show, it's just sort of my responsibilities have changed a little bit. And so um, I, I never 
I never thought it would get to this, uh, but it has. And it's going to sort of affect some things on here, especially for our game preview podcast. So after all this time, I just, um, I'm going to start knowing stuff about Ohio State opponents. And I'm not sure how it happened, but I know the names of, of several Minnesota players. I've watched Minnesota. I've studied Minnesota and Steven, you know, there have been times on this podcast when I have prided myself on my ignorance, Buckeye talk, and that's just going to change now. And part of it is because gambling is going to be easier. And if we're going to talk about stuff, I mean, you know, we're going to put a little time into it, but it's also just a world where with some, you guys are still zeroed in on the Buckeyes 24 seven. And that's what makes you guys great. And the coverage that you give on this podcast, on the texts and on our stories, especially on cleveland.com. Um, but I'm not, I'm not as laser focused on the Buckeyes as I have been in the past because of what I'm doing with the Browns, what I'm doing with the playoff show. So it's expanded my vision a little bit, Steven. And in the past, I never was like, what do I care? I don't, what the, Ohio state's going to beat them. Why do I, I'm not going to spend any time on this. But if we're going to talk about gambling lines, and as my my eyes have been opened a little bit, just I want to warn people. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a few things that might actually sound like I am aware of the team on the other side of the field. Yeah, it's rough. You know, I, I think you spent more than a decade making sure you knew absolutely nothing about the other team, and you also spent a decade telling everybody that you knew nothing yes. about the other team. And I don't. In it doesn't matter because Ohio State was going to win anyway. So right. this is new territory for you. It's just, Doug's finally leaving the nest of Ohio State and going off into the national world and finding out that there are quarterbacks on the other mm. team who can throw forward passes. So I, 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 my thoughts and are with you on this journey. I hope you, you see things that are interesting. And just as, you know, I hope you find guys who are just as talented as maybe some mm. Ohio State guys, but knock on wood, you might not see that until we get to December. So let's dive right in. And let's talk about Tucker Miller. And I think he's a really interesting veteran. Is that his name? <laughs> that was great. That was good. That was a good one, too. So, <laughs> so I, did, I got notes. I got notes. I read game notes. I, I dug into the roster. I watched PJ Flex News Conference. I rewatched uh, most of the Minnesota-Wisconsin game, the plays that mattered from Minnesota's last game of last year. And Nathan, I will tell you guys that digging in on Minnesota a little bit, I came away a little more like, hmm, I think these guys have a little something more than I thought off the bat, because there are a couple things happening here. One is they return, uh, return a lot of people where it matters. Now, they don't return Rashad Bateman, which is a huge deal. And I think there's an explosiveness factor, which is going to be, which is always at play with Ohio State, which is hard to get past. And I really want to get into that more when we get to the betting line. But I think from like a sturdiness standpoint, Nathan, they have their top nine tacklers back, but they have two transfers on the defensive line, one from Clemson, one from North Carolina State. They have a middle linebacker from Abilene Christian that's probably going to start. So I think we've talked about this in the past, Nathan. It's like, hey, congratulations on your whole defense returning. You mean the defense that couldn't stop Nathan Baird coming through the hole last year? But even though they return a lot of guys, they also supplemented. And this is just something that we're just, you really are seeing the effects of the transfer portal 
where you add Minnesota adds one guy from Clemson, right? You add one guy from a, from a bigger school who's coming down. You add a guy who's like a three-year starter at Abilene Christian who's coming up. And all of a sudden it ticks your talent level up a little bit. And you look at teams like this across the country. This is where you see the impact of the transfer portal. We just did Cincinnati on the college football playoff show this week. And people know this, but like one of Cincinnati's starting receivers is a Notre Dame transfer. They're starting running back is an Alabama transfer. This is just how it works now, Nathan. And, and I think you can look at this defense and be like, but it's like, well, if you brought most of it back, you hope the guys are older and better and you supplemented probably three starters, especially up the gut of that defense. I think it should be a little better for Minnesota. Well, it almost have to be better. I mean, I think there was 6.3 yards of carry that they allowed last year. That's borderline insane. And when you're facing Ohio State's offensive line, that, that should be, I think, especially terrifying. You're making a good point about where I think teams like Minnesota can ratchet up the talent level with the transfer portal. I would also caution, though, that just because Nebraska got Tyreek Johnson doesn't necessarily mean that they ratcheted up their talent level that much or that it makes them much more likely to go beat a team like Ohio State. And so for Minnesota, I think some of those additions probably make it them even more competitive in the West and, and, and fortify their chances of doing things within the division. I don't know, though, that it closes the gap that much between them and a team like Ohio State. No, I think that's a good point. That Yeah, congratulations. Maybe Minnesota will have a better chance against Purdue this year. Yeah, or even it, Wisconsin yeah. and Iowa and those teams, yeah. Yeah. The Tyree Johnson point was really solid because it's like, I mean, he's not here because you he can cover Ohio State's receivers in practice every week. To think he's going to be able to do it on a Saturday when those guys are full go is ridiculous. And we're not here to, 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 to rap. Yeah, on yeah, Tyree yeah. Johnson. it's not a Tyree Johnson saying, thing. It's just a concept. I'm just saying I don't necessarily assume that a guy leaving a marquee program for a smaller program necessarily transfers to the smaller program or the more, not smaller, but you know what I'm saying, the, right. the, the more – modestly talented program and all of a sudden starts balling out. But I know Nathan that you have at times, I think over the course of the off season cited Minnesota's run defense. It wasn't like in the one twenties or something. I mean, it was like almost at the very, very bottom of major college football yeah. with how much they got gashed last year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, 6.3 yards of carry. Um, they just kind of got flattened. And I think they were allowing you know, 30 points a game last year. And that was a contributing factor. So here's, here's another thing, which is like, uh, so in, in rewatching chunks of that Minnesota Wisconsin game, which is their last game last year, they got gashed up the middle a couple times where it's like, oh, they're doing some good stuff. They're doing some good stuff. Oh, there goes some Wisconsin guy right between their defensive tackles through their linebackers and into the secondary for a 40 yard run. But in their last game of the regular season, they were as good as Wisconsin. They were right there with them the whole game. It went to overtime at 17. They called like a little throwback to the tight end that was there. And Tanner Morgan was a little late on the throw and it got knocked down on their first possession. So they had to kick a 36 yard field goal and the guy missed it. And then Wisconsin kicked a field goal on his possession and won. And that was the last time that was the last time we saw Minnesota and they were equal to Wisconsin. And now they have kind of most of their guys back and everybody thinks Wisconsin's going to win the West. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect there to me that when you watch that game and I get it, Graham Mertz, but I mean, Ralph Russo from the APS, Wisconsin going to the playoff. It's like, what is it that Wisconsin, I didn't study Wisconsin because Ohio State's not playing Wisconsin. I'm curious to see the Wisconsin Penn State game, but I don't know exactly what Wisconsin did this offseason to get awesome 
but Minnesota has a lot of their dudes back. They have their, their all big 10 running back back guy was the best running back in the big 10. He's back. They have their third or fourth year starting quarterback back. Their leading receiver, their second leading receiver should be back if he's healthy for this game. And we'll get into that a little bit better. They've got a real dude on defense. They have all their, their top nine tacklers back and they have the most experience on the offensive line of any team in college football. They have 180 combined starts back on the offensive line. So I don't know if there's a gap, right? If there's a perception gap between, well, Wisconsin's the best team in the West and Minnesota's down at the bottom. I'm telling you, the last time they were on the field together, they were the same team. So that has knocked me back a little bit in trying to evaluate whether Minnesota can hang with the Buckeyes or not. I feel like I'm going to sound a little bit um, contrary to my identity here, because I feel like I've always been a little bit of a don't forget about the West team. Don't forget about what could could rise up out there at any point. But yes, they were pretty equal to Wisconsin that last game. The week before that, they were only a touchdown better than Nebraska. The week before that, they were only three points better than Purdue. And there's only so much that we can look back into last season. I would just caution that I think we're still talking about that sort of bell curve philosophy where Ohio State is down at that very thin sliver on the bell curve still in terms of talent and in the middle of that bell curve it gets really messy week to week and I think anybody can beat anybody kind of like Illinois beating Wisconsin a couple years ago it just it's it's not a guarantee that it happens every week but it's more likely to happen with all those teams that are in that fat middle and and I would I would certainly last year would have put Wisconsin even in that tier and probably even still this year putting Wisconsin and Iowa and those teams in that tier until they can get back on the field with Ohio State and prove that they can beat them for a full game. Is it fair that Minnesota, uh, along with maybe some COVID issues that they clearly had last year, they played to the level of their competition every game, which is why every game was close? Well, they got blown off the field by Iowa when they played a good team, but they did play some humdingers, man. I mean, Michigan beat them in the opener when we thought Michigan was going to be good. And now Mm -hmm. Joe Milton, who started that game for Michigan, is a starting quarterback at Tennessee now. Mm -hmm. And Cade McNamara is a starting quarterback at Michigan. So that was like a fake game. And then they played this crazy like 45-44 game against Maryland. And then they had a bunch of COVID games that get blown off the field by Iowa, but then they did win. They won some games at the end of the year. And to your mm-hmm. point, Nathan, it's one of those things. It's like, well, how do you look at like barely beating Purdue, barely beating Illinois, losing to Wisconsin in overtime? Is that like, ah, eh, you're not that good? Or is that like, oh, I don't know. You're, you know, you're as good as anybody else in the West. So it's dangerous, I think, to look too much at last year. But I also think, listen, they had the best season in 50 years of Minnesota football two years ago. And are we going by that or are we going by last year where they were kind of like, eh, but I think they might be, how do I say this? They're not closer to 10 and two than they are to a middle of the pack Minnesota team, middle big 10 West team. Right. But I think they might be closer to 10 and two than I thought they were before I started studying them. You know what I mean? That, that it's not that they're 50% of the 10 and two team that beat Penn state at home hitting big plays against Penn state. Right. But I think they might be 30% of that team when I thought it might've been like, well, Bateman and Tyler Johnson are gone and Tanner Morgan's lost it. And they're 5% of that team. I think they're more than 5% of that team. But so we we started off on the defensive side of the ball. The, The explosion factor, Steven is just the factor. That is the factor that you have to account for, but you don't know how much to account for. I don't think they have anybody who can cover Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. 
So, so uh, what does that mean? I mean, what is, does that mean that whenever Ohio state wants to throw a 50 yard touchdown pass, it can, I don't know that it's quite that, but Steven, it, it kind of almost, almost feels like that. It feels like that, or just, I mean, in passing, I'll pay attention to some, how some national guys feel about certain situations. It's either that, or they're going to all out scheme for those two and Jackson Smith, the jig was just going to have a day. That those are your options. It's either play those two on the outside one on one and let them do what they do, or let Jackson Smith the Jigba have a have a breakout season. So I don't because you don't have a, a single guy who can at least try to take one of those guys away, even if it's for some key crucial snap, snaps down the stretch. They play five DBs as their base, and PJ Fleck again on Monday talking about stuff was asked about the Ohio State receivers again, and was asked about the thing he said last week, which is like it's the best college receiver room I ever saw, and I think we even said on this podcast, ah, he's buttering him up. It makes me think like, oh, does he listen to Buckeye talk? Because he said, I'm not just buttering him up. <laughs> he said, like, I, I, I mean it. I, I mean, I. He said, I haven't like scouted Alabama ever because I never needed to. So I don't know. I'm not gonna. He's not saying he's an expert on Alabama's, you know, room from two years ago, but. He's saying that's that's legit. So, I mean, again, Wisconsin's Wisconsin, but Nathan, I think it's possible that it it might make sense. I just don't know. Their run defense was so bad, Nathan, last year. Does that mean Ohio State's going to come out and try to run the ball on them when actually I think Minnesota has a better chance trying to stop the run at least a little bit than they do trying to guard these three, defend these three Ohio State receivers on every play, right? That I do think if Ohio State tries to run it because Minnesota is bad at stopping the run. Maybe you take away a little bit of the explosion factor, at least a little bit early on. Yeah. I want to add a quick piece of context about Minnesota's run defense. That, Cause I think it's important. Cause I, I when, since I brought up the 6.3, they, they allowed. So 8.3 yards per carry to Michigan and 9.1 yards per carry to Maryland. When they lost those first two games, they were getting absolutely just trucked off the field in those first two games. And then after that, it was more reasonable. I think they allowed 5.4 okay. yards of carry over the rest of the year. So still not great. They weren't a good run defense, but they weren't abysmal. But And I think that's important that it seemed to be like a defense that was maybe figuring some things out. And you saw that by the end of the year against Wisconsin. But this does also seem to be a defense with the exception of maybe Boya Mafe, who we haven't talked about yet, but they've got a talented defensive end. He was in our pretty high on our list of the 50 um, best players Ohio State will face this year that we did over the summer. What about Minnesota defensively do you feel like attacks Ohio State? It feels like whether it's on in terms of the run defense, whether it's in terms of this pass defense, he's the one exception. Otherwise, it's going to be a very – seems like a very reactionary opponent. Like I don't know how Minnesota comes out and disrupts Ohio State with this Ohio State offensive line and with the talent that it has at, at the skill positions. I mean, I would say even in the backfield, like um, that when that combination of Ohio State's backfield – with the offensive line it's going to throw out there is is still pretty impressive. So I, that's what I'm kind of waiting to see until I see Minnesota find a way to throw Ohio State off of something, not just defending and trying to limit them, but to be able to actually interrupt something. I, I My suspicion is it's going to be a pretty hard day for them. I think it's it, it's really more about Ohio State and how, how quickly Ohio State, with a quarterback who's never thrown a pass in college football, can get to explosive Ohio State. Minnesota can't stop explosive Ohio state. I think PJ flex a coach that isn't afraid to junk it up. Isn't afraid to take a couple risks. He knows the deal. He keeps saying things like, you know, 
again, unlike, for instance, where I think Cincinnati was a couple years ago when they came to Ohio Stadium and Luke Fickle kind of didn't want to admit what was going on here. P.J. Fleck is pretty upfront about like, listen, they're Ohio State. We're just trying to play to the best of our ability, whatever that means. And not exactly saying they're clearly way better than us, but basically saying they're clearly way better than us. So if you take a couple risks, you run a couple blitzes, you try to junk it up in the run game. And if Ohio State at all feeds into it, right, where maybe they got a couple big bodies in the middle and you hand it to Master Teague and he kind of misses the hole a little bit and all of a sudden it's second and eight. And now you run a little, you know, a little quick out and Garrett Wilson's open and CJ Stroud barely misses him a little bit because I don't know, he's never done it before, right? Now, all of a sudden, now you're behind the sticks and it's third and eight. And what has Minnesota done to stop you? Well, nothing, not really, but Ohio State's still in third and eight. So that I just, I just think I wonder if we could get to that scenario early as Ohio, if Ohio State takes two or three or six drives to, co- to sort of get to fully explosive, take advantage of the fact that they don't have a guy who has a prayer of staying with Olave and Wilson. But I don't yeah, know. But I, my, I just real quick, but, but the, I think what's maybe one of the more intriguing things about the Ohio State offense is you don't have to have ex- d- plays that are designed to be explosive for them to turn out to be explosive, especially in the case of someone like Garrett Wilson. Well, that's true, but they also do hit a lot of stuff over the top to Olave. And PJ Fleck was talking about that. He said in the play action game, what makes them so tough is that he said when you're running play action, if your receivers are so super fast that they can take that little second while you're faking the handoff and they're so fast, they get way open in that moment where other guys only get a little bit open. You know, he's talking about he knows what they're going to try to do to him, right? I mean, I think they're still Mm going to try to do, and again, just talking to Jeremy Ruckert, and I, I mean, these guys aren't coached to really give us anything, but Jeremy Ruckert on Monday, it was like, well, how do you think the offense is going to be different? And he was like, well, I think it's basically going to be the same as it was with Justin, right? So if they're not doing bing, bang, boom, Dwayne Haskins offense, as I tied myself in a pretzel about a couple pods ago, and it's mostly looking like last year, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of what if you miss a couple shots that are there? What if you miss a little, you know, a thing here, a thing there, and all of a sudden it's, it's I think it's, if Ohio State is functioning on all cylinders, I don't think Minnesota has a chance to slow them down. Steven, do you do you expect on Thursday night that the Ohio State offense will basically come out, you know, maybe it takes a drive or two, but basically will be hitting its stride pretty much right away against Minnesota? Or are you expecting some kind of slow start with an offensive line where guys – shifted positions with a quarterback who's never done it before. And if they try to work in Travion Henderson at running back. Um, neither. I think it might look, I think the Florida Atlantic game might be just a good indicator of how it might look where they come out strong early because it's just how things work. They're more talented and Ryan, I mean, your first, what two series or so are usually scripted anyway, as long as things go according to plan. And so maybe they get out to this hot start, but then at some point in the second quarter, it just goes dull for whatever reason. Maybe it's a turnover. Maybe it's a, a, a missed fumble snap or somebody puts the ball on the ground or an interception or whatever. It just goes left for a little bit, and then they pick it back up in the third quarter. So that floor, not, Maybe the score is not the same, but the idea that Ohio State gets up early and then maybe falls flat for a little bit, maybe is a better way to look at this. Nathan, how good do you expect the Ohio State offense to look on Thursday night? 
I, I still expect it to look pretty good. I mean, again, it, it, we talk about C.J. Stroud, and I certainly have done it in terms of the lack of experience that whoever won this quarterback position was going to have. But at the same time, this is his second year in the program. He he knows this offense. He's been living within this offense for a couple of years. He's been practicing within this offense. It's going to look on the field to him, I would think, pretty normal. Now, he's going to be dealing with a crowd and a lot of external stimuli or whatever that he'll have to, to work his way through. Um, but he'll also have maybe adrenaline on his side there a little bit too. So that I, that's something he'll have to contend with. But as far as like what it looks like in front of him, I think it's going to look pretty normal because – uh, as, as kind of as Steven alluded to in a different context earlier in this pod, he's seen better defenses than what Minnesota is going to throw at him pretty consistently in, in, throughout preseason camp. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that this offense should look is again, knowing what we know today, which is what we expect to be a healthy offensive line. We expect everybody else to be available. Then I think it, it should be a pretty potent offense from the start for Ohio state, especially matching up with this defense, which as I said before has to sort of prove us wrong that we're not expecting a pretty modest performance. I think this matchup is almost entirely about the Ohio state offense. When you're talking about Ohio state offense versus Minnesota defense, I'm not sure Minnesota has much they can do. It's a matter of how quickly Ohio state gets to who they are and, and figures out exactly what they want to do and how they protect CJ Stroud and how CJ Stroud take advantage, takes advantage of the opportunities that you know are going to be there and do the running backs hit the holes that, you know, the offensive line is going to clear. Right. So I do think that side of the ball is probably 90% about Ohio state, 10% about Minnesota. The other side of the ball, I think Minnesota has more of a chance to dictate a little bit of stuff. And a lot of this is going to come down to, Tucker Miller and who you think Tucker Miller is. I'll stop doing that. Tanner Morgan. I still like doing it with the, I think I still do it with the uh, Clemson safety. Who you think Tanner Morgan is. If you pull up the right set of Tanner Morgan plays. And I know we had a Minnesota writer on in the off season. He was like, I don't know about Tanner Morgan. Pull up the right set of plays. And he looks like Mac Jones, junior, junior who just won the starting quarterback job in, in, in New England, by the way. It's like two a week one. So Nick Saban recruiting tool. Yeah. Junior, junior, junior. But what they're doing, what they did in 2019 with RPOs and hitting guys on slants and gone with Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson is a junior version of what Alabama did last year. Now, how close can they come to replicating that without Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson? Well, I don't know, but but I think they have a little bit of a chance to get closer to that than maybe I would have thought coming in because this is where you talk about, again, some of the little transfer portal things that helps teams. Chris Ottman-Bell is their best receiver. He was their third receiver two years ago. He hurt his leg on August 12th, and P.J. Fleck on Monday said he's day-to-day still. They don't know if he's going to play. Nathan, it feels like that guy's pretty important. He's their most explosive guy. You can put on film and see that he's done it before. If he doesn't play, it gets rougher. I don't know. I, I guess assume with day-to-day injuries, if that was the coach is saying, if you're Ryan Day and Kerry Combs, you prepare for him and assume he's going to play and we'll see what happens Thursday night, right? Yeah, I think you have to approach it as a coach like that. I mean, and, and I don't know what the downside is. Like, you know, prepare that you're going to see their best receiver and if he doesn't play, You've, you've put yourself in probably a better position because I don't know if someone else is going to do something so 
crazy stylistically or whatever that it would throw you off to have prepared for the first guy. It's too bad we didn't get to see that 2019 Minnesota offense yeah. against Ohio State's 2019 defense because you would have, you know, that would have certainly been the best defense that they saw having to contend with Chase Young, having to contend with Jeff Okuda and everybody else that was out there. All along, I've sort of seen as much as I've been almost dismissive of Minnesota's defense coming into this, I've kind of thought that Ohio State's offense is its best defense. That Ohio State has enough things moving around and new on the defensive side of the ball that when you take an offensive line, this veteran and a running back uh, as good as Muhammad Ibrahim seems to be, and then a veteran quarterback who, again, will not have to necessarily go out and um, dazzle you, but can go out and just sort of orchestrate things, then the longer Minnesota can just stay on the field the better chance they give themselves, even if they're not always finishing those drives of points. If you're forcing Ohio state into fewer possessions and, and maybe, you know, um, uh, putting a, a smaller margin for error on their possessions, you give yourselves a chance. So, so I do want to get into that part of this a little bit more uh, in a second, but I, I want to stay on the receivers here for a moment because it's interesting. So beyond Chris Ottman Bell, and he's really important to them. Their next two guys are probably Daniel Jackson and Dylan Wright. And this is where with teams like this, you've got to look for the guys here and there who you think can hang from an explosion standpoint, from a talent standpoint with teams like Ohio state, you do it with, I've been doing it with Iowa state. You do it with teams like Cincinnati. Okay. We know across the board, the talent's not there, but where do they have some peaks? Daniel Johnson, is it, what is it, Jackson or Johnson? Here. Daniel Jackson. and Because I can't read my handwriting. I wrote it down and I can't read it. It's, cool. it's been... not me not knowing. It's not, I just, it's bad handwriting. I have terrible, my parents both had lovely handwriting. Mine looks like a bomb threat. What did it say? Johnson or Jackson? Daniel Johnson? Jackson and Dylan Wright. And my brain doesn't work. Daniel Jackson, the number 306 overall recruit in the class of 2020, the top rated recruit in their entire class. So he's a second-year guy. And then Dylan Wright was the number 70 70 overall recruit in the class of 2019. Mm -hmm. He was the number 12 receiver in that class. You know who the number 13 receiver in the the country in that class was? Was it G. Scott? G. Scott. Jameson. No, it's it's 2019. Oh, 19 is Jameson Williams, yeah. Jamison Williams. So, and by the way, Alabama put out its depth chart on Monday because they put out a depth chart on like Ohio State. Jamison Williams is starting at Alabama. Yeah. So Jamison Williams, who was the number 13 overall receiver in the class of 2019, is starting at Alabama. Dylan Wright, who's the number 12 overall receiver, is starting at Minnesota. He transferred from Texas A&M. So it's like, who's this guy? It's like, I don't know. He's Jamison Williams. And so, again, Nathan, to your point of like, well, okay, what? Jamison Williams. He had eight, eight catches for Ohio State last year. But it's a shot. So this is and, – and these are guys. You talk about these two receivers, Stephen. It's a, it's a little – it's enough of a talent influx at a position that matters with a quarterback who in the past has shown that he can get the ball to talented receivers. And if this is the case of – Oh, remember how we thought uh, maybe Minnesota wasn't going to be that good? And then it was like, oh, Daniel Jackson and Dylan Wright, they actually good. And like, this is the game where you find that out. That's a thing. Do I think that's going to happen? I don't know, but it's possible in a world where, oh, who are their receivers? It's like, I don't know. 
a bunch of five, eight guys from St. Cloud, then I'm not even worried about it. But that's not what that is. There's at least a glimmer, I think, for some explosive Minnesota offense. Which takes me back to you say he looks a little Mac Jones-ish, Mac Jones Jr., 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 how many Jr.s you want to throw in there. But the idea around that offense was that Mac Jones wasn't their best weapon. Their best weapon was the people he was getting the ball to. So if you believe that Daniel Jackson and Dylan Wright are good enough to be be outside of Muhammad Ibrahim, obviously, but in the passing game, if you feel like the two wide receivers are their best weapons and not their quarterback, then that approach of just get it out of Tanner Morton's hands quickly and get it to these two guys and see what they can do. That might make things. I don't, it's not enough to win. I don't think, but it's enough to make things interesting for a half. Even if it, 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 you know, if you get some things going, if it's, if somebody can turn a four yard or six yard pass into a 27 yard gain or something like that, it makes things interesting. And maybe then you're in a situation where instead of being down 21 at halftime, you're down by a touchdown. Nathan, I just think it, it raises the ceiling on Tanner Morgan, right? Because we've seen him at his best. We've seen him be not his best. And if you're trying to figure out, is he 2019 Tanner Morgan? Is he 2020 Tanner Morgan? He's got to have some dudes to throw it to. But the other part of this is if Chris Altman Bell plays and if these other two guys can show anything in week one, okay, now they're matching up against the Ohio State secondary that we have questions about. And if they're going to hit this RPO stuff, which is what they do when this offense functions at its highest level, first of all, that negates a lot of the Ohio State pass rush. So then it becomes not a Zach Harrison game because Tanner Morgan's getting it out of his hand before Zach Harrison can get to him. And it's now these three guys who have a little something to them. Can they beat Seven Banks and Cam Brown and Marcus Williamson and Lathan Ransom? And okay, I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's not the strength of this Ohio State team. And it's a second-year coordinator. It was Kirk Shiraka two years ago when it really worked. He went to Penn State. They brought in Mike Sanford. Mike Sanford is a guy who had a pretty decent reputation in the past. I thought for a time he might be an Urban Meyer hire at Ohio State. And he's talking – I mean, of course he is, but he's saying all the stories this preseason now. Of like, I didn't even know what these guys could do last year. I'm trying to call plays. I don't even know the personnel. I don't know their strengths. We didn't get the practice. And I get that. Anybody who was changing coordinators – Kind of like Kerry Combs at Ohio State, right? I mean, are you hold, do you think, well, that's it. Kerry Combs isn't that good. Or are you thinking like, well, give me your two. Ah, Mike Sanford, other offense, like, well, give me your two. There's just some pieces here, Nathan, that I could see if this Minnesota passing game functions at its highest level. Quarterback, three receivers, they have a 6'7 tight end who has five career catches, but he's still 6'7. And a coordinator in year two who's figuring out a little bit. Again, are they going to beat Ohio State? No. But it's a profile of of a maybe I can see how they could hit some stuff. Well, yeah. And I mean, let's not forget, like, and I was the one who invoked the names when we talked to Jeremy Ruckert on Monday. I was like, hey, remember Iowa 2017? Remember Purdue 2018? Like, you can draw some similarities between those sorts of teams and the team that we're talking about here with Minnesota, where there's maybe some NFL talent sprinkled around here. Maybe it's a team. Now, it's those were like in-season examples of teams that were underachieving a little bit that were maybe poised to like step up this is you know judging them based on last season but last season certainly seemed like an underachievement based on expectations and when you start to compare Tanner Morgan to those quarterbacks to uh to David Blau and to what was it Nate Stanley at yep. Iowa um like then that starts to be you know 
he's not Justin Fields. He may not even be C.J. Stroud, but is he those guys? And have we seen what those guys can do? It's not completely fair. We're in a different era of Ohio State football in a lot of ways. The, you know, the administration has changed over and, and all that stuff. I understand that. I'm just saying that this blueprint has worked for teams before, and it's the only blueprint in some ways for whatever reason that has worked against Ohio State in a regular season for the last four years, five years. And in those 17 and 18 games, it was both, I think the, the linebackers in both games kind of hurt you. I mean, the whole secondary, the tackling in the secondary against Purdue was an issue. A lot of it in 17 was the Iowa tight ends getting matchups, right? But there were some matchups with what those offenses did well. Well, did they really have guys who could cover the Iowa tight ends? Not exactly. Did they really have a guy who could cover Rondell Moore? Not exactly. Again, and, and not that we didn't know Rondale Moore was going to be good, but he wasn't full, full, full-fledged future NFL high draft pick Rondale Moore when he played Ohio State. That helped propel him a little bit. So we yeah. don't know what these Minnesota receivers are and if they are in a matchup where it's not Ohio State strength. And I st- we still, I mean, again, we just did the whole pod about the position groups people are most worried about. Secondary is the number one thing. If you close your eyes and you can David Blau yourself with Tanner Morgan pretty quickly. I mean, like it, it is not, it is not a stretch and, and they don't have to do it. Can Tanner Morgan do it all year and lead Minnesota to the big 10 West title? No, he can't do it for 12 weeks. Can he do, he do it for, it for one? one? And, and, and as a, as a, I, I don't want to be glib. I, I don't even know if I should bring this up. I don't want to be glib, but it's going to be a storyline. I think they'll talk about on the game. It's, it's a terrible tragedy. Tanner Morgan lost his father to cancer this off season. And we know the Tyler Trent story at Purdue, and I'm, and I'm not trying to footballize tragedy, right? But there is often an intrinsic part of this, right? There is something that is inside people and that you find motivation from tragedy a lot of times. And Tanner Morgan, I, I'm sure, I mean, unbelievable loss for this guy that, that, that to have your father who's watched you your whole life, here you are, your, your last year of college football, and you go through that tragedy, but Tanner Morgan might have something intrinsic. It's probably not even something that's worth talking about. I just don't know if they're going to do a Tom Rinaldi thing on the, on the Fox telecast or whatever. It's going to be Gus and Joel. So that might be brought up, but we just might see the best of Tanner Morgan. That's, that's all I'm trying to say, because he's done it before. He might have the weapons. He, and he might be in a place to play an excellent football game. And he's more accomplished than a lot of, quarterbacks that Ohio state faces. So I just think there's, there's a, there's a, a potential spark to the Minnesota pass game. But then the other part of this is the run game. And it gets back to something, Nathan, that you were on to, and you were talking about, and I, and I slow rolled us through it a little bit because I wanted to save this. The time of possession is something that most people don't care about anymore. It's almost an antiquated thing to track. Yeah. PJ Fleck, still cares about it. He has like four pieces of winning and has a whole philosophy of how things add up. And time of possession is one of those things. Minnesota in the nation in time of possession last year, sixth in the nation, 2019, sixth in the nation, as explosive as they were with Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson, they were still sixth in the nation in time of possession. Nathan, you said that can be Ohio. That could be a team's best defense is hold the ball. That's what they do. Even when they're explosive, they hold the ball. When they beat number five Penn State in 2019, 
they had touchdown passes in that game of 66, 21, and 38 yards. They scored explosively. They still won the time of possession, 35 minutes to 25 minutes. So they hit Penn State with big stuff and still ground them down and won that game. I'm not and Penn State 2019 is not Ohio State 2021. Ohio State's better. But Nathan, there's part of the formula there, and then we'll get to Mo Ibrahim in this offensive line a little bit, but that's, that's going to happen. It's what they do. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be what they want to do, and they're going to hit you with these slants in the RPO, but they're going to ground you down. Mo Ibrahim is going to have 30 carries in this game, and they're going to try to control the clock. Yeah, it's the one breakdown of that example that I was giving earlier because, again, the David Blau, Nate Stanley thing. Yeah, I think Tanner Morgan looks like those guys, but Nate, uh, David Blau and Nate Stanley weren't the special guys on the field that decided those games. It was Rondell Moore, and it was like those tight ends and, and some other players for Iowa. That was where your like special NFL talent was. So I, I think this is going to be a very different formula that that Minnesota tries to employ here. I think you're you're astute to point out that they have some of these these young guys and that whole. Really, that whole receiver core after Autumn Bell seems like a bunch of freshmen, freshmen and redshirt freshmen. It's it's a lot of young guys. So is there somebody kind of creeping in there that provides that explosiveness? Maybe. But I really think that this by design, it's going to be how do you just keep stay on the field, keep moving the sticks, keep C.J. Stroud or more importantly, do what I was just talking about. Keep the Garrett Wilson's, the Chris Olave's, the guys that you would equate with people like Ronda Moore, keep them on the sideline because those are the guys who can change a game in any second. I don't know if Minnesota has those guys. Even Ibrahim, I think, as we're about to talk about, it's going to be more of a, you know, conventional running game kind of thing. Not that he probably couldn't break away sometimes, but just more churning away yards. And I think that is the, the where Ohio State would maybe be more susceptible if they can't stop the run enough that it keeps their offense off the field. I don't even know if Ryan Day cares about time of possession at all. It's like, oh, 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 those are time of possession. It's like, I don't know. How long does it take for Chris Olave to catch an 80-yard touchdown pass? How long was the ball in the air? That's the time of possession. He doesn't care. Yeah, well, it just depends on what you're trying to do with a with a with a series. It's I mean, if it's the first half, probably not. It's like let's go score, let's keep our foot on the gas pedal. But when you're up, you know, 35 points in the second half, he's probably chewing up a little bit more clock. So I yeah, I don't know if it's as calculated as we want to have the in a 60-minute game, we want to have the ball. 40 minutes to their 20 minutes. I just think it's, you know, like, what what do we want to accomplish in this possession and how do we want to get there? It makes me kind of intrigued by what do they do? Is, is there something like a, you know, Garrett Wilson jet sweep on the first play of the Penn State game or something that they do to kind of just say, oh, here's your time of possession. It's it's 60 yards downfield the other way. Um, like, do they come up with something like that early? That kind of that leverage that we've seen them use in the offense before, play somebody off somebody, get somebody wide open. I, I don't know. I, I think that they could they could come up with some wrinkle like that early on. I actually like that. I mean, they always do something random to start the game off that you just weren't even thinking about. So for that, maybe what if they come out and want to read option with CJ Stroud first play of the game? Just because that's when that's nothing anybody's thinking about right now. You're thinking about getting it to Travion Henderson or getting it to these wide receivers. So that would throw you for a loop a little bit. And then he just runs it for 40 yards because nobody prepared for it. I think there's an added benefit too. get the first time quarterback in the game. Let him get hit a little bit. Yeah. Hasn't been hit much. Minnesota 12 and 45 all time versus top five opponents. And again, this win over number five Penn State two years ago is one of the biggest wins in program history. It, it's a reference point only because it's it's like the closest thing to Ohio State that Minnesota's beaten in the last 50 years. In that game, 
Tanner Morgan was 18 of 20, which is that's hitting your RPOs. They ran it 40 times. So they threw 20 passes and they ran it 40 times for 121 yards, which is not effective, but it's constant. And in that game, Sean Clifford for Penn State, who was not that good, threw for 340 yards. KJ Hamler had 119 yards. Pat Frymuth had 101 yards. Those are two NFL guys, yep. two high NFL picks. Jahan Dotson had 70 yards. And Minnesota still won. They they couldn't, they averaged three yards per carry. They gave they couldn't stop Penn State's passing game, but they still won. So again, are are KJ Hamler and Pat Frymuth, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave? No. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are better, but this is like a shadow game, right, Nathan? That I'm I'm trying to point out some things that there are some things when Minnesota is at its best. It's like, oh, all your quarterback has to do is complete 90% of his passes for your offense to work. But when it's popping, again, there's a little bit in the matchups here. And the other part of this, I want to get to the run game. Yep, Mo Ibrahim, he's a very solid running back. They're going to run zone. They're going to try to push this Ohio State defensive line wide and then hit cutback lanes. And I don't know that it's going to be like that fun for this Ohio State defensive line. It's like we're waiting for Zach Harrison to tee off on people. They're going to be getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands, and then they're going to have 180 career starts of big St. Paul, St. Cloud, St. Everything else in Minnesota offensive linemen just shoving you to the side all game, waiting for this little bowling ball to hit a cutback lane on you. If I was going to try to beat Ohio State, you know what I'd do? I'd run wide zone an RPO in the past game and try to neutralize this defensive line. Yeah. I mean, as I've been in the past couple of years, sort of, you know, picking which game would potentially be the, the trip up game for Ohio state on some of these regular season schedules, like the, the surprising loss that they might take. It was always games like that teams that might be able to do that, that intrigued me like in Iowa, when Ohio state's played Iowa in the regular season, like would they come out some game and be solid enough on defense just, you know, find enough ways to be disruptive on defense and then control the game on the ground. And it's that's still that's an answer that Ohio State, regardless of who they were playing a little bit this week, we'd be looking at does this front seven does the, you know, you know, or really the whole defense top to bottom. Does it look better than last year? And, you know, Taraja Mitchell was talking yesterday like they know they're all new guys. They know that there are questions about how strong they are as, as a defense, as a linebacker unit. And they know that they have to prove it and they don't get to ease into it. Like it, they've got to prove a lot. I think right off the bat. Larry Johnson pretty much tested to all of that. Cause I was asking him about some Russian stuff when we got him. And he was just like, we can't be worried about the Russian package right now. we got to stop the run. Minnesota's not going to let us get in the Russian package, which in some ways puts the owners back on the offense because you can't just run the ball all game if you're down by 21 points. So if the offense comes out and does its job and puts Minnesota in a situation where now they have to throw the ball, I mean, if you keep running the ball, you're just going to run the clock out and you're going to lose the game indefinitely. Okay. That's the game breakdown. Uh, Minnesota is better than I thought before I started looking at them. And I think some of their strengths match up with some of Ohio State's questions. And it's going to come down to Tanner Morgan's going to have to be almost perfect, but we've seen what happens when mediocre quarterbacks are almost perfect against an Ohio State defense with a couple of vulnerabilities. When we come back, we will make our picks. We'll talk about the over-under. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. 
Doug here with a last reminder for any Buckeye Talk listeners who might also be fans of the Cleveland Browns Wednesday night. So you're listening to this. If you're listening to it Wednesday, then you have time because we're doing a thing Wednesday night. If it's after Wednesday night, then you missed it and we're going to do it next year. Hey, by the way, also, I'm talking to the people. We're going to do a thing like this for Ohio State next season for sure. So get ready for that. Plan a year from now. Anyway, it's a buck. It's a Orange and Brown Talk event to preview the season it's like a Zoom thing. You get on and you get to talk to six different sports writers about the Brown season for 90 minutes for free. Kind of cool. If you Google Orange and Brown Talk preseason event, it'll pop up. It's Wednesday night, September 1st, 630 to 8. Mary Kay Cabot, the legend. Terry Pluto, the legend. Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. They're kind of just normal. And then me talking about the Browns. Get to, uh, you know, have like a 65-minute discussion with us couple little auction things, like a way, fun way to preview the Brown season. So if you're hearing this and it's not yet 6.30 Wednesday night, you can still sign up. Google it. Orange and Brown Talk preseason event. And maybe we'll see a couple of you there. Now back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, 614-350-3315 if you want to join the texts. 14-point spread, which to me at first blush seems low. It's like, oh, you think, don't people think, I mean, Ohio State's a playoff team. What's Minnesota? I, I, 14? It's on Thursday in Minnesota. I don't care. It's still, you don't think Ohio State's two touchdowns better than this? The over-under is 64 and a half. Let's talk first about the betting line, and then we'll make our picks for the game in this segment. Nathan, do you agree that at first blush, 14 seems low when you just glanced at it when you're running through lines? Or did, that, did you think to yourself, no, that seems about right? I mean, it's it's. On the road, it's a weird midweek thing. Uh, I think there might be some factors on on Minnesota's side that you've talked about that, that that I don't know if that stuff gets folded into the betting line. You've got a first-time starting quarterback at Ohio State, although it's also a first-time starting quarterback who shows up pretty high on, for instance, the Heisman Trophy odds of the same books that are <laughs> making it a 14-point spread. So I doubt that that bothers them too much. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it still does seem a little bit low because even if it's a game that I think Minnesota – can can do some good things um 14 point spreads in ohio state games in the big 10 are still kind of a rarity right now i even what do you think steven yeah i think it's pretty spot on because it's new starting quarterback it's on the road minnesota's at home and it's because i think they're giving some credit to the amount of experience minnesota has returning because mm-hmm. they have all those super seniors so you when you add in that consideration when you really don't know what cj stroud is going to be even if you are high on him maybe you 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 bank low to start the season off and then you'll start to see some of these lines creep up there as uh, right after this game as a matter of fact you might see lines for the rest of the season be north of 20 in the big 10 but for the starting game given the circumstances you you give the benefit of the doubt to minnesota a little bit I think the books might also be doing a little bit of what Ryan Day did, which is say, uh, you know, kind of throwing last year out a little bit and saying that 2019 might be more indicative mm. of the level that mm-hmm. Minnesota is at. Because, like, ask yourself, like, what would the if if Ohio State had played at Minnesota, especially when they were still undefeated, like in October of 2019, if if that Ohio State team, even that great Ohio State team, had played at Minnesota, what would the spread have been for that game? Yeah, no, it's a Probably good point. Trying, trying to cover Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, but also Ohio State would have been more equipped to cover yep. Tyler Johnson and Rashad mm-hmm. Bateman than they might be right now. Um, I think it. I don't care that much that it's a Thursday night on the road. I think it's a lot of times with Ohio State, you're better off trying to get them at noon when they're a little sleepy. 
like they get geared up. They like playing at night. They want to, I mean, that's, you know, like the home and they love going on the road. I think for the most part, like if the, the, the bigger, I think almost like the, the visiting crowd is geared up, the better it is for Ohio state. Like sometimes like the Purdue stuff, it's like Purdue fans didn't even care about that game. And then it's like, Holy crap. And it's like, you just kind of catch everybody in a lull. So I'm not factoring that as a big part into it. Although I think that might be going into the line. If this was a Saturday afternoon in Columbus, I mean, obviously the home field advantage it matters for a couple points, but I think it could even maybe 21, right? If it was in Ohio, if it was in Columbus at noon. So so let's get to our picks, and then we'll talk about the over under. I just think that so so we're not gonna listen. We're trying to be smart in case people would happen to be using this to guide their betting at all. We're not going to get super betting into it. We, we thought about doing that. We actually wanted to, and it, and, and it didn't happen. Um, we're not going to pretend that we're experts on betting. We're going to, we're going to tell you what we know about Ohio state football and their opponents. I'm not super confident in this pick. I would not bet a ton of money on this part of it. But I will give the points. I will give the 14 because I just think the explosion factor of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are a touchdown waiting to happen every time they step, they snap the ball against this defense. And so it's a matter of can CJ Stroud make it happen? How often does Ryan Day want to try that? How often do they want to lean on the run? At some point, I mean, again, sort of talking early. Oh, what if Ryan Day gets lulled in and handing it to Master Teague and Mayan Williams 30 times? It's like, well, he's smart. <laughs> He's well, he's I don't think he'll do. I think he'll at some point they'll just say, well, then just let's just start flinging this thing around, mm-hmm. assuming CJ shows he's ready for it. Go ahead, Nathan. Well, no, I think I think that's exactly what could happen in this game, because if we think it's it's the flip side of what I was just been saying about Minnesota, about how they could come out, and maybe control the game. Does anybody remember the Penn State game last year where Ohio State went on the road and got a lead early and then just gave the ball to Master Teague a bunch of times in the second half and got out of there with a 15 point win or whatever it was or 16 point like that's. I could absolutely see something like that happening here where Minnesota can't match up with Olave and Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba and whatever else is going on early. Ohio State gets out to a, a decent lead early. And then that second half just becomes the running back show. CJ Stroud turning around and handing off to guys and, and whittling that, you know, salting that win away, as they used to say, and moving on to next week and, and coming up with a game plan for Oregon. That formula has been the Ryan Day staple in the Big Ten because they're better than everybody else. It's go all in. First 30 minutes, maybe the first, depending on the talent level and what the score is at halftime, the next seven minutes, the third quarter, and then just start handing the ball off. I don't think Ryan – yeah, he doesn't get very cute with things. Remember Northwestern? Like, they weren't looking for style points against Northwestern. They got the lead, and now Trey Sermon just running insanely helped. Mm -hmm. But even once they got the lead, you were just going to keep giving the ball to Trey Sermon anyway. But winning that game by whatever they – 10 points, whatever they did, that was enough. They didn't care about running up the score, and I don't think they're going to care in this situation either. So my score is 38-21, which is a 17-point win with a 14-point line. And I just would be nervous to bet this very hard either way. It's sort of what they got, you guys are talking about. It's like, okay, if you have comfortable win, that's something less than like a, a gigantic blowout. Well, then, then it's you could be giving up a late touchdown makes a 13 point win that doesn't matter because you kind of shut down the offense for the last 20 minutes. So I'm, I I think this is right around it, even though to me, my instinct is like, Oh man, I was like, hammer that give the 14 easy. 
I just think Minnesota's a little more competent. I do think Minnesota's going to score a little bit, at least. I don't think this Ohio State defense is going to like shut them down and hold them to 10, right? So then it's like, okay, well, now Ohio State's got to maybe at least get up towards towards 40 to really make that cover comfortable. So I'll I'll say a 17-point win, but I would not bet very much on this with a 14-point line. Nathan, what's your score pick? I'm going to say 34 to 16. I know that sounds a little bit low on the Ohio State side, maybe in terms of a score. I just feel like Minnesota is going to be able to move the ball and that Ohio State may just be dealing with fewer scoring opportunities than usual, but I think they're still going to be able to get in the end zone. Um, And Minnesota, while I think they can move the ball, I, I don't know that they can move it consistently up and down the field against Ohio State. So, um, as far as getting into the end zone for touchdowns. And I think, I, I mean, I, had, I was already kind of seeing, like there were parallels to the Penn State situation last year that I think will will come out here, that now it's not just mass fatigue that you'd be you know, relying on. You've got a couple, three running backs that you think you could probably spread it around to and, and use it to just sort of grind that way, that win away in the second half. So that is a 18-point, uh, 18 18 so right in the same range. Steven, what you got? 42 to 17. And honestly, it might be 21 to 17 at one point. It's not going to look like it was a 42 to 17 game where it's Ohio State's up, you know, 35 to nothing before Minnesota starts doing some things. Maybe it's 21 to 17 at some point in the game. And then Ohio State figures out, figures things out and just gets things clicking. But I think they cover comfortably, even if it doesn't always look like that throughout the game. Would you feel confident enough in that? That's a 25 point win. Would you be comfortable enough in that to, to put a few? It. On this, like, are you, are you fairly confident that you think this is a good bet for Ohio State fans to give the 14? Yeah, I, I think so. I just think the talent, I, this is too much. There's, there's too much offensive firepower for Ohio State to not at some point just take over the game. All right. So the Ohio State fans, the texters, not surprisingly, I think this will happen a lot. But listen, you got to be smart with your money. You can't just, I mean, it's fun to bet as a fan, but also you don't want to just be a fan then. Don't give your money away because you're a fan of a team. 87% said, said give the 14 for the Buckeyes. So I, I'm not surprised by that. I just feel like there might be better opportunities later on with offenses that maybe aren't quite as competent, defenses that aren't quite as veteran as Minnesota, where they're not going to get the line high enough and you can really wait for those days when Ohio State is going to be dropping 50 spots on people, right? I just I just yeah. don't know that this is it right now. I think if you're in a pool where you have to pick the game, like I'm sure those are out there. I've been in things like that where you have to pick games and like you have to pick one side or the other. I'd probably take the I'd give the points for Ohio State. But if it's a week where you get to pick which games you're picking, I don't think I would I might leave this one alone. And I think part of it is not so much what you think the offense might do. It's how much you think the defense might be able to do. So if the defense is giving up, you know, 21 points every single week, then it, I mean, it's a, a 21 point cover. If Ohio State's offense only scores 38 points, but you didn't, you didn't cover. So it's almost, you know, can the D- Ohio State's defense get back to a spot where it's only giving up 10 to 14 points and maybe even less than that. So the over under is 64 and a half and our point totals are all under. Nathan, your point total is 50. Steven and I are both at 59. Minnesota, uh, last year, four of their last five games went under. The the Wisconsin game, the over-under was 47. It hit at 37. The Nebraska game, it was 61.5 was the over-under. The total was 41. Uh, The Iowa game, the over-under was 58. The total was 42. The Illinois game, 
the total was 65, the number, and it wound up at 55. That's a lot of times where Minnesota games are in the 60s and they they hit the under. I, I think the under is a pretty good bet here because I think there's multiple ways you hit the under there because I don't think Ohio State's dropping a 50 spot. So it's like, okay, well, there's the an under then that is kind of like Stevens under, which is like a pretty easy Ohio State win, but like Minnesota doesn't score all that much. Mm-hmm. And then if you think it's a little more competitive for at least a while, well, if you think it's competitive, what do you think it's going to be? 35-31? Like you think it's that competitive? Do you think it's both teams score in the 30s? I don't exactly see that. That's how you hit the over. Nathan, I think there are multiple ways to hit an under here. Minnesota has kind of a history of it. And I think if Minnesota hangs, it's more that Ohio State's in the 30s and Minnesota's in the 20s. And if Minnesota wins, I think it's, you know, more like Minnesota 28, Ohio State 24 kind of stuff. I I just see multiple unders here. And if you don't believe that Ryan Day is going to unleash the dragon on Minnesota, the over is a little rough for me here. Yeah, I guess the one I see that would work in the other favor is if, if Steven is right, but a little off, like it's more like 42, 24, then you're, you're getting a, you know, something that covers that spread, but then you're more, you're closer to that, that point total. So that, I guess I could see that like maybe we're, maybe you and I are a little bit low on just how much both these teams are going to score. And the point spread is similar, but it's just a higher scoring game on both sides. I just, Ryan Day doesn't do more than he has to do to win a game. So them scoring 42 points is just because they scored 42 points. He didn't go out of his way to go get it. And then, and then there's all from the Minnesota standpoint, they just might not be good enough to score a bunch of points for them to get the over in this game. Yeah, I mean, I think the Ryan Day strategy here factors into it, Stephen. I think that's a good one. You're trying to bet this. It's like, even if you believe Ohio State could name its total, Ryan Day might not want to name that high of a total. Mm-hmm. So we're all – we all – I would – if I was betting this game, I would bet the under much heavier than I would bet Ohio State giving up 14. I actually think the under is a pretty decent play here. Um, do you guys think the under is a decent play, or is it just what you would do if you had to pick it? I actually think it it, it, it is a decent play because the, there's still a, a good chance that everything you were saying before about – you brought up a good point about Minnesota's offensive quarter going into his second year and – giving him some credit, some benefit of the doubt there. We have not done that that much with Kerry Combs, really. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about mm-hmm. in terms of the players themselves getting better or maybe some new players emerging, but we haven't really talked that much about maybe Kerry Combs now a little bit more comfortable in the second year of this. Remember, he wasn't an internal promotion either. He was coming in from the outside after a couple of years away, knew a little bit about some of this roster, but didn't know them um, – in and out the way that somebody who was already here would have. So I I think that's a factor here to remember too, that we may, I may, I'll just say for myself, may still be underestimating what this defense can do last year. And it's, it's not that I don't think they could do that. It's more just like sitting back and making them prove it. More comfortable. And now in a role where all he gets to do is sit around and scheme stuff. He's not really in charge of teaching because Matt Barnes is there. So yeah, maybe you're right, Nathan. Now he's had a full regular offseason where now all he gets to do is think about play calling and think about coming up with schemes and watching film and doing that type of stuff. Maybe it is a better carry Combs. But would so, I be shocked if Ohio State's up 35 to 6 at halftime? I don't know that I'd be shocked. No. But there's still – so Kerry Combs might have a better defensive scheme. That helps the under. 
Minnesota, even when they do things right, they want to hold the ball and control the clock. I think that helps the under. Mm-hmm. Ryan Day, even if the offense is awesome, might want to chill out a little bit. I think that helps the under. There's like a couple yeah. different ways where, again, there's a lot of ways to get to an under here. So I think we like that bet. And we are all taking that. And so are the texters. 60% say under 64 and a half. And so that's how we'll break the, the games down this year. We'll try to talk about the game holistically, and then we'll try to get down to the nitty gritty a little bit. And listen, man, I, I mean, come on. It, it's for real. If you've listened to me for seven years, would you bet a nickel based on what Doug says? I, I hope not, but it is our jobs. And so we're going to do our best. We're going to do our best to help you if you're interested in that. And I, you know, I do know with a lot of the apps and some of the other states, you can, you can just bet like two bucks and stuff, which is kind of like, well, I don't know. But still, you shouldn't throw away two bucks. If you're going to bet two bucks, you should try to win. So we'll do that. When we come back on Buckeye Talk, we'll sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle a little dose of other Big Ten games. We'll do it next. Indiana, Iowa, Penn State, Wisconsin. Nathan, which game intrigues you more? Oh, uh, Indiana, Iowa, I-, I think is a is a fascinating game because it's it's the two teams – it's one team that feels like it has something to um, sort of answer for, like, you know, it has to, has to live up to its expectations. And I think it, Iowa is the team that might be a little bit the sleeping giant, and we get to watch them crash into each other here in this first week. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's quite right. It feels like just in, in terms of, you know, talking about these teams, Indiana is the team that, that more people are discussing as – can they really do something? Is it a breakthrough? Is it real? Where Iowa, we kind of know the deal with Iowa. Iowa's Iowa. And so is this a pretty good version of Iowa? Yeah, I think it probably seems like a pretty good version of Iowa. But what does that mean? So I honestly don't have a great read on this game for these reasons. Um, it is at Iowa. And Iowa started off uh, as a... Five and a half point favorite, and the Hawkeyes are down to a three and a half point favorite. Steven, what, what are you thinking about this one? I think if I was a betting man, I'm staying as far away from this game as possible because I just, one, that line is just not helping the case, but also I just don't know. I don't even know who's going to win this game. With, yeah. the, uh, with, with the other games in the Big Ten, you think you have an idea just based off, okay, who do you think is the better quarterback? Who might have a better defense? Who might take a step up this year? With this one, it's like, it's one team who might be ready to explode and another team that we know is just consistent, even if their consistent level is nine and three, eight and two. I mean, nine and three, 10 and two, you know, seven and four. And so I don't, I'm, I would stay as far away from this game as possible if I was a betting man. I know Tom Allen. I think everybody's in on Tom Allen as a coach. He's, he's a good defensive mind. He's up to recruiting. He's, I think a good motivator. I think he connects with his players. And again, he's told this story a lot, but I, I think it's interesting that the thing he said about like they used to break huddles with big gem, 10 champs or whatever. And he was like, we're not doing that. I mean, that's ridiculous. And finally this year, he's letting them do that. And it might be like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, you let them. Oh, you did. You let them break out. Oh, oh, you're owing one. Cool. Oh, you broke with big 10 champs. Cool. You couldn't win at Iowa because you know what? Winning at Iowa's can be hard. And then they get. Cincinnati in week three, and it's like, oh, cool, you broke down, you're one and two. Congrats. And, and it might just get away from them. 
and 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 I think it gets away from teams sometimes. And I think you know this is not news to anybody. I think I think there's a scenario where it just gets away from Indiana and they're like six and six because oh, so you lost to Iowa, you lost to Cincinnati, and you haven't played anybody in the East yet. Big Ten champs on three. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, oh, congrats. Now you're going to play Ohio State. Now Penn State is better. Oh, guess who looks like they're getting figured some stuff out? Rutgers. Hey, you know who's a good little player? That Talia Tonga Vailoa at Maryland. Like it's, oh, Michigan's starting J.J. McCarthy now. Good. You know what I mean, Nathan? I just, I just think that's there. So I would definitely stay away from Indiana right now. But I don't know that means that I would be all in on Iowa. But I think I might pick Iowa to win this game, Nathan. I'm picking Iowa to win this game. I think Indiana could be better than they were last year and still lose this game at Iowa. First of all, it's at Iowa. I mean, going on the road in the Big Ten is not easy. And again, especially when you're talking about that bell curve, I think these teams are maybe farther on to the left side of that bell curve. But but still, I, I don't put them in that kind of elite category where I expect them to uh, where it's a shock to me if they lose to, to essentially anybody. Iowa's 2020 season is really interesting. They, they started off, they lost their first two games at Purdue when, when Purdue actually looked pretty good coming out of the gate last year. I mean, they looked like they were on the, the good side of that bell curve, at least early on. So they lose 24 to 20, and then they beat, or they lost to Northwestern at home by one point. So Northwestern that almost went undefeated in right. the Big Ten and, and gave Ohio State a game. And then they just plowed through just about everybody else. Michigan State um, at Minnesota won by a bunch, won by 20 at Penn State and scored 41 points, had a, 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 an ugly home win at home against Nebraska beat Illinois pretty good and then owned Wisconsin in the, in the regular season for the last game they played 28 to seven. So this Wisconsin team that people seem to be very, very excited about Iowa handled them and it was at home, but the Iowa handled them really well last year. And if, if a couple of those, I mean, a couple of possessions go different in the first two games last year, I we're looking at Iowa, I think very differently than they are now. I really think they are lying in wait for this might be their season. This might be the team that Ohio state plays in Indianapolis in December. We just, I mean, we're crystallizing Big Ten West favorite Wisconsin, worse than Iowa, equal to Minnesota. 51-49, I asked the texters to pick a winner without the spread because it was so close. 51% Iowa, 49% Indiana, and that's why Steven is shaking his head and running away from his computer. Yes. It'll be fun to watch. It'll be fun to watch. I might have, I, I'm. this is one of those games too where I'm, I, I might bet the Iowa money line. I don't know if I would bet it with the spread, but I, I kind of liked it at five and a half, and I like even more three and a half. Okay. Penn State, Wisconsin, the other one. Yeah. This feels like a little – which one, Stephen, feels more like the battle to show who the second-best team in the Big Ten is? This one, okay. for sure. Just based off perception, how we've talked about these teams all – well, how, not us specifically, how people have talked about these teams all offseason, it's this one. Do you agree with that? So I think perception, Stephen, you are right. Nathan, do you think that's actually true, that this one is more the battle to see who's the biggest challenger to Ohio State? Not really, because I, I think if if Indiana goes on the road and beats Iowa, I think that tells me more about where they are than if Wisconsin beats Penn State at home, or even if Penn State wins at Wisconsin right now. That, to me, would be maybe the most impressive outcome of the four possible outcomes of this game. I guess it's how you – 
feel like you, you want to view Michael Penix and Graham Mertz then? Because I, you're not wrong to say that, but if you feel like now in a normal situation, that Graham Mertz, he's not going to be what he was at the beginning of last year, but he's also not going to be what he was near the end of last season. I think he's somewhere in the middle. But if he leans more in the middle towards what we saw at the beginning of the season, then Wisconsin might have something. But at the same time with Penn State, it's like, was last year a blip because of COVID or is that like how things are going to be now? And so with these two teams, it's maybe reestablishing themselves while with Indiana, it's more of like, have you actually arrived or did you just take advantage of the fact that everybody sucked last year? I think part of my answer too, is that I still think of Penn state as a more talented program than Wisconsin. And if they go on the road and win at Wisconsin, that still seems more like in the expected outcome of things. Wisconsin number 12 in the preseason AP poll, Indiana 17, Iowa 18, Penn State 19. So this is what we're talking about here. This, these two games are going to sort that out very quickly. Penn State is one of those teams that a lot of people, Phil Steele included, are very in on as a bounce back team that last year was not a, who they are. Micah Par- Parsons, their best defensive player, opted out. Journey Brown, their best offensive player, had a career ending medical issue. And that's not who they are. Jahan Dotson is a big-time dude at receiver. I like Parker Washington, the second guy. Rasheed Walker, their left tackle, is like an NFL dude. They have good linebackers. But I also know people who cover Penn State who are very question this team very much, Nathan, and it's almost all about Sean Clifford. And, and if you just don't think that the quarterback can get you over the top, then how much can you really believe? But it's not a dissimilar conversation than Tanner Morgan. Although Sean Clifford at his best, I don't think has ever been as good as Tanner Morgan was two years ago when he had those awesome receivers. So we, Sean Clifford hasn't shown us his peak, but listen, the guy is a third year starter. He was a pretty decent recruit. Like he's Penn state's quarterback. There's gotta be something in there. Right. But I I don't know that a lot of people think he's going to get to it. Is is it fair to just view Penn state season as a, just a, a referendum on, on Sean Clifford. And if the quarterback plays not good, they have a ceiling. Well, I think the quarterback play can be uh, good. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm the Sean Clifford thing baffles me a little bit. I'm not like the way that they used him last year in the Ohio State game. I thought was bizarre. They tried to recreate they, the Will Levis situation where they're just going to use him as a runner, and it didn't work out as well. Yeah, and I know that they were compromised with with the guys that they lost in the backfield too. But like the the abundance of times that they ran him. Um, into just a wall of guys that Ohio State had, I, I didn't, I didn't understand. So that's maybe now they've they got rid of that offensive coordinator, so that probably <laughs> would not be the approach that they took this time around. And that may be one of the reasons why that happened. So I, I think I'm still probably picking Wisconsin to win this game, and I would probably even I think the has the line gone down on this or has it gone up? I think it's done the opposite of the Illinois or the Indiana Iowa game, right? Yeah, it uh, mm-hmm. it started lower. It's now um, Wisconsin five by yeah. five and a half, but it started at three and a half. Yeah, yeah. I think I like the three and a half more than the five and a half. So I, it might be one that I I just kind of stay away from. I think I would still take Wisconsin to win this game though. I might give Wisconsin the points here. I just I don't know what Mike Yurcich is supposed to un- unlock in Sean Clifford. I just I'm, I I think he's a, a a well a really good quarterback developer. He showed it at Oklahoma State and. He had his hand in Justin Fields in 2019. I think that quarter we'll see it again when Drew Aller gets on campus. If he gets on campus, if Ohio State can't flip him, um, 
But I just don't know what more we're going to be able to see out of Sean Clifford that's supposed to raise Penn State's ceiling, even if Penn State, from a talent standpoint, is maybe from top to bottom a more talented team than Wisconsin. So I'll give Wisconsin the points there. Yeah, and it's one of those things like how can they overcome it if the quarterback yeah. play isn't great? You know, if they if they play a if Penn State plays a bunch of games this year where the other team has a better quarterback, can they still win? Maybe. You know, I I do think they are more a team that probably you punt last year when it comes to them. They had a really weird start. They actually rallied pretty nicely at the end of the year. Our texters, and again, I just asked it straight up because the line was close enough. Seventy-two percent picked Wisconsin to win. Twenty-eight percent pick Penn state to win. I would, I, I, this is another stay away from me. I actually, if I was doing a thing where I had to pick stuff, I would pick Penn state to win because I believe enough in the idea that like, I think Penn state's the second best team in the East. I think Penn state talent wise is the second best team in the conference. If Mike Yersich is a decent upgrade over what they had with Kirk Sharaka last year, and they just get back into an offensive flow a little bit, maybe that'll shake something out of Sean Clifford. Not that I'm a Sean Clifford believer, but I like some of their skill guys. You know, some of the guys in the backfield, Noah Kane and some other guys I think are interesting. I think their offensive line's okay. Some decent peak guys on defense. I think they're more talented. And like if Graham Mertz isn't awesome, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's at the gap in these quarterbacks isn't as great as we perceive. Maybe not because Sean Clifford steps up, but because maybe Graham Mertz is not exactly what everybody's expecting. I'd take Penn state in this one but I think it could be a mishmash in the big 10 behind Ohio state this year. All right. That's how we'll do the preview show. A little sprinkling of big 10 at the end, make sure we get in our gambling talk and try to preview the Ohio state opponent and how we think this game is going to break down uh, in a pretty comprehensive way at the start. So we'll do that. Most weeks, this will be the Friday pod this week. It is the Wednesday pod because the game is on Thursday. We will have a quick little hitter of a podcast on Thursday morning, just to wet your beak before the game Thursday night. We'll answer a couple rapid fire questions. Keep it light. Keep it fun. Try to cover a few things we haven't hit on as much in the other pods that we've been doing in the off season. But this was the one we wanted to get to you guys to make sure you had our handle and how we think the game's going to work. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Buckeye talk. Make sure if you haven't tried the text, you maybe give it a, a, a what the heck, a what the heck right now, 614-350-3315. And again, we always appreciate the reviews at Apple Podcasts uh, and College Football Playoff Show. If you want to give that a listen this week, we ran through Cincinnati, which I know there's some of you out there who care about Cincinnati. Does Cincinnati belong in the playoff conversation? They were the final team we covered uh, before we got into our playoff picks on that show. You can find the College Football Playoff Show wherever you find Buckeye Talk. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.